Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne, Lord, to seek your assistance by your Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. That as we go into your word, that you will reveal yourself to us in Christ. That the Spirit will reveal the things of Christ to us. That we may know who this Jesus is. That we may believe on him and have life. And have the darkness that is of us to be lifted from us. And that we may have his light that we may walk in it. Lord, I pray and thank you for your people whom we have gathered this morning, that you may cause them to see the light of Christ, and that you may create the light of Christ in them, even for the children. For Lord, we know, as the scriptures say, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, Lord, may you help us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way of title, I have a lot of titles. In the beginning, that's title number one. The deity of Jesus. Title number two. Jesus, the Logos. The God of the old and the new creation. The God of the old and the new creation. We are in the book of John. We are in the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. There are many who still call themselves Christians, who regularly attend church every Sunday, who do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. I'm not talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm not talking about the Mormons. We are talking about people who are going to regular churches, Sunday in and Sunday out, who still believe that Christ is not God. According to them, they say, Jesus never anywhere said that he was God. They say, Christ never claimed anywhere to be God. There are two problems with that. The number one problem is that they simply do not know how to read the Bible. And number two, that they are not born again. They are not saved. Because salvation is about making the right confession of Jesus Christ. That is what salvation is. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the only way you can make the correct confession of Jesus Christ as to his identity as God is only if you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's the sign that you're looking for. You can't say Jesus is Lord or God unless you are born from above. That we come to learn. We are not coming to get some high, some sugar, 
just for the day, we are coming to learn the fundamentals of what God has given for us to know about Christ. Don't lose opportunity to learn when you have it. Do not waste the mind that you have to learn the truth. Because you don't know when the Lord is going to continue to give you the opportunity to use your mind or even to hear the truth. There's a saying, they never knew the use of a good thing until they lost it. And I'm telling you, all the people who are in hell this morning, I don't know if they have morning or afternoon or evening in hell, but in reference to our time, anyone who is in hell every day thinks about this. The opportunity that they wasted, thinking that life was more about everything else that they made it to be other than the coming to Christ. So I want to help you as we go through the book of John to see Christ for who he is. That you may believe in the true Christ. The one who is the son of God. So now to the book of John. We are going to just work on verses 1 to 9. Verses 1 to 9. And it reads in the first verse. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God. Whose name was John. This man came for a witness. To bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Apostle John, in his introduction, goes beyond the genealogies and lineages the birth story of Jesus. He takes Jesus out of the manger and stretches us back to the beginning of beginnings and ties us as he does that to the creation themes in Genesis 1, the themes of light, the themes of life and darkness. He takes Jesus out of the womb of Mary before he brings him back to our level. The level of humanity later in verse 14 when he talks about Christ, this word tabernacled among us. Christ tabernacles among us only 14 verses later after he has been given a very lofty and high introduction. You see there are two levels of problems. That people have. With regards to the person of Christ. People have two levels. 
Next week I may have four levels. But today I have two levels at which people have problems with Christ. There are those Christians who are too fascinated with baby Jesus. That they want to keep him in the manger and give him some toys, a pacifier, and maybe a sippy cup. <laughs> they want a Jesus who is weak and dependent on his mother for his sustenance. They want a Jesus that they can feed and manipulate with candy and ice cream. And they extrapolate or import this Jesus, this imagined Jesus, into their understanding of salvation. They take this Jesus of the manger, keep him in the manger, and hope that he will still save them in the manger. So they see Jesus as desperately needing our help to accomplish the work of salvation. And so they have to choose him. They have to choose him. If salvation has to happen, it has to be them doing the work of salvation. So they approach salvation as work that they have to complete, not as work that Christ himself has completed. And that's why people would even have the nerve to write down the date on which they came to Christ. I came to Christ on the 1st of May in 2001. That's what they think. They completed salvation by their coming to Christ. There is room for talking about when you came to Christ. But you did not come to Christ to complete salvation. You came to Christ because he brought you to himself. You say, this is the day that the Lord came to me and revealed himself to me by faith. On the other hand, we have those people who give some semblance of respect and honor to Christ. They come to church every Sunday. They give their tithes and offerings, but will refuse to acknowledge the fullness of the person and being of Jesus Christ. John comes and he undoes both views of Jesus in his theology. The Jesus of John is lofty. He is high and lifted up, as Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. He is not made anything by anybody. He is the one who makes you into something. He holds all the cards and determines the outcome of every move. The Jesus of John is not the gentle, meek and mild Jesus of modern day Christianity that a lot of people have created after their own imagination. The Jesus of John is not afraid to offend people to the point that in John 6, some of his disciples stopped following him. Christ is the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. He is not afraid to say to people, you are of your father the devil. And he is not afraid 
to say, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. The Christ of John rebukes his mother and he says to his mother, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? And he is not afraid to say to Peter, if I want him to live until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. We need more than a PowerPoint presentation of Jesus in order to know him. We need to be born again to know the Christ of God. John the Apostle tells us that his Jesus is not an attribute of God. He introduces Christ as being the Logos, the one who is the sovereign God, the God of both the old creation and the new creation. He says just as in the first creation, the second creation is not performed by an inferior or subordinate being. The first creation, and God said, let there be light in Genesis. God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. John comes and says, that's Jesus who will say that. That's Jesus of the old creation. And is the same Jesus who is coming in the new creation. He is the Logos. And Logos is a Greek word for word. In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was Jesus. So John wants you to know that this new creation of your salvation is not being done by an inferior being or a subordinate being. It's not being done by an angel. It's being done by the very same God who did the first creation. And now, before you didn't know that, but this same God is Jesus Christ. And by this teaching, Apostle John introduces us to the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one, but is three persons, separate, co-equal persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to read the opening of this book and not come to an understanding that there is at least one being who is called God. So we at Berean Sovereign Grace, we affirm the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even as important in the work of our salvation. It requires the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for salvation to be complete. The Son cannot redeem you if the Father did not choose you. And if the Son did not redeem you, the Holy Spirit cannot come and go you. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Son. You need the Father. All four Gospels begin by placing Jesus within a historical setting. All the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the Gospel of John is unique in the way that it opens. The book of Matthew begins with 
the genealogy of Jesus that connects him to David and Abraham. And Luke has a dedication of his work to Theophilus and follows that with a prediction of the birth of John the Baptist. But John begins with a theological introduction. And it is as if John is saying, if you have to understand this Christ, if you have to have a proper assessment of this Christ and his work, you have to know this. And any understanding of Christ which is less than what John has given us in the introduction is not going to help you to understand everything else that John has to say. So we need to have the right and correct assessment of the person of Jesus Christ. So John says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. John here enumerates for us the characteristics of the person and being of Jesus, that we may not have any confusion about his origin and his nature. He purposefully enumerates these things for us that we may not have any confusion who this Jesus is. The nature of the work that is set before Jesus Christ according to John requires one who is from everlasting to everlasting. It requires one who is sinless. It requires one who is God. It requires more than parental lineage or bloodline as he would continue to teach in the chapter. John's Logos is the one through whom God does all his work from eternity and without him nothing can be done. And of course, eternity has no beginning. Eternity has no beginning. So the beginning that John has in mind is no beginning. In the beginning was the word. And if this word was with God, and God has no beginning, then the beginning of the Logos is just to say he has always existed. He has always existed. The word that is translated the beginning is arch. A-R-C-H-E. You have seen or heard of the archbishop or archangel. It's exactly the same word. And it means in the case of the archangel or archangel is the chief angel. Okay? This is the highest of the angels. But when it comes to the logos, it means before all else. Is the chief. Before all else, he is the origin. Of all things. He is the active. First cause. Of everything. That is. He is the foundation. 
of everything that is, whether it's visible or invisible. This makes the Logos the sovereign one. Because it's only a sovereign who can bring anything into being. So we have here the beginning of all creation. And we have a beginning of the Logos. Those are two beginnings. But they are different beginnings. And we are to understand the usage of beginning by the context in which it's used. John does not have any better way to express the beginning of the Logos, but in the way that he has explained the beginning. So verse 1 is his explanation of beginning. He is saying the beginning of this Logos is such that he was with God, and he was God, and he was in the beginning with God. That's his explanation of beginning. Christ is said to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And this is the teaching of John in Revelation. Christ is said to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So in the mind of God, he had already determined from all eternity that this is how Christ was going to be revealed how God was going to be revealed to his creation through Christ being slain for his people that he may bring them to God. You see, salvation is not, I always say this, salvation is not some work that went bad. God by Christ is not trying to resolve some failed experiment. Salvation has always been God's purpose to bring us this way. God never intended for you to have life outside redemption in Christ. He never did. He never intended to give you life by your obedience. He never intended to give you life by the obedience of Adam. Adam could not give you life. He had no life to give you. Even though he was innocent before the fall, still Adam could not have given you life, eternal life, like the kind that we have in Christ. So praise the Lord that Adam fell because it was needful. So the beginning of this word is intangible. It's an intangible beginning. You can't put time to it. And it's a spiritual beginning. Because in the beginning, God, there was nothing before God that was physical. And we know that God is spirit. Right? So there was never a time when the word was not. There was never a time in history, in eternity, that the word was not. And there was never a thing that was created that did not depend on him for existence. There was never a thing that ever existed that did not need Christ for its existence. So it is important then that the Logos, 
the logos. Right now, we are saying Jesus. I'm not supposed to be talking about Jesus right now. I'm supposed to be talking about the logos. Because Jesus comes later. <laughs> John wants to tell you that there's more to this Jesus who is walking in shoe leather than what is meets the eye. He is trying to draw you back to eternity and tell you that you are dealing with something bigger than you can imagine. So this Christ cannot be included among created things. He is greater than all things and greater than time. And he is unchangeable. So the writer of Hebrews would say in Hebrews 1, 10-12 and he is saying these things about Christ and he is quoting from Psalm 102 verses 25 and 27 and says you founded the earth in the beginning that's a different beginning you founded the earth in the beginning Lord and the heavens are the works of your hands they will perish but you continue and they will all grow old like a garment and like a robe, you will fold them up and like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will never run out. This is being said of Christ. That in the beginning, he founded the heavens. And all creation is going to be folded like a garment. But he remains the same. Created things change. And only created things change. God is immutable. He never changes. So Christ is said to have been in the beginning as the Logos. The word of God. Not words. Christ is not the words of God. Words that are generated by vocal cords. That's not what we are talking about. There's more to the quality of this word of God. More than vocal cords moving air and producing sound. We as created things, when we, when we make sounds, when we speak, we are only making sound because we move air. If we don't move air, you can't talk. But Christ, before there was air, comes and says, let there be light. And there was light. So there's a quality to this word which is more than just some spoken words. There's some personal character to the word. There's a being to the word. In our own understanding of a word, we know a word to be an expression, a means of manifestation, communication, and revelation. And that is a fair understanding of a word. Because when I'm speaking, I'm speaking with my words. They are hearing my words and they are communicating what is in my mind. The words are communicating what is in my mind. But Christ goes beyond just words coming out of my mind. Christ displays and demonstrates and expresses he is the embodiment of everything that God is. He expresses the invisible God. He is, according to the writer of Hebrews, He is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person 
and upholding all things by the word of his power. So the Logos is the power of God that upholds all things in the universe. It is not the force of gravity that holds things together. The force of gravity could not hold anything together. The force of gravity could not hold the whole universe together. The force of gravity could not hold anything together. It's the Lord who holds all things together by the word of his power. And this is Christ. And, and, and the scripture is saying it is Christ who holds all the planets so that they don't crash into one another. It's him. He is the one who is causing the earth to rotate on its axis every single second, faithfully, every day. He is the one who is doing it. He is the one who has placed the sun at such a distance that if it would come closer by just five miles, it would burn us up. And that if it would go away just five miles, the whole thing would freeze. He has so placed everything and he upholds all things of providence by his power. As the word, he communicates the love, the truth and mercy and grace of God. And John chapter 1, John tells us that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came with Christ. Grace and truth came with Christ. And he reveals the attributes and perfections of God. The word of God then is deity expressing itself. So Christ is called the word of God. The word of God is the means by which he reveals his mind. The word of God is the means by which he reveals his mind. God does not think. Now that sounds like something bad to say about God because if I come and say, you don't think, you, you, you're thinking, what is he talking about? He has just insulted me. He's saying, I don't think. <laughs> but when it comes to the being of God, God does not think. Because to think means you don't know. You are trying to evaluate decisions. You are getting more information that you may make a decision. God simply declares. Because he knows the end from the beginning. And Apostle John says, And the word was with God. So the beginning of this word is like that he was in the beginning with God. There is a personal ex existence to this word. And there is a close relationship that this word has with God. So that whatever is true of God can be said of the Logos. There is a personal existence to this word. And it is in close and intimate relationship with the being of God, such that whatever can be said of God is true of the Logos. Now, if someone tells you that they saw me at the store walking with my wife, what does that tell you? It tells you that I was in the company of another person other than myself. I saw 
James at the store with his wife. That right there tells you that there was at least one person that was in my company. So if the word is with God, then it means this word has always accompanied God. So that it is inseparable from the being of God. But even more, it's in the beginning with God. So it has always accompanied God from the beginning. From the beginning of God who has no beginning. So, John's theology and teaching consistently drives us toward the conclusion that Jesus is the incarnate word. He is just as God as the Father is God. So, the knowledge of God that the Logos brings is not just information. The knowledge that the Logos brings is not just information he, as the Logos, has life and he is the creator of all things. And some people will say, Jesus is just an attribute of God. Just like grace is an attribute of God. But John will say, this Logos, grace and truth came with him. So he came as the bearer of grace and truth. Grace and truth are attributes of God. Grace and truth are attributes of God. That's why John would say the law came with Moses. Because the law was not Moses. It was given to him. But grace and truth comes with Christ because it belongs to him. So, Jesus is more than just divine. You can say, oh, he just has some divine character to him. He is just some God. Some exalted being who is not God. John does not allow us to have that kind of impression of Jesus. And remember who John is. John is a Jew. John is a Jew, and as a Jew, he has a very monotheistic religion. That is a religion that believes in one God. And as you probably know, the Jews had Deuteronomy 6.4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every Jew knew this verse. But John comes with a Christ and a Logos and he says we have no option but to declare this Logos as equal to God. We have no option but to give him the title of God. And listen to what John does not say. He does not say and God was the word. He says the word was God. So he is saying to you and I today that nothing less than God will do for our understanding of Jesus Christ. 
nothing less than God would do for our understanding of Jesus Christ. Now, after having done this lofty introduction of the Logos, John tells us the relation that the Logos has to all creation. Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So now from the relationship of the word to the Father, John turns his relationship to creation. Do you see that? The first two verses are telling you about the Logos relationship to the Father. And now he goes to tell you and I the relationship of the Logos to all creation. And he says, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So John connects the being of the word as God to the existence of all things and says, this one is the one through whom all things came into being and have their being. So God first revealed himself to creation through creation. God revealed himself to creation through creation and then through Jesus Christ. The heavens declare the glory of God. Okay. John says all things owe their existence to the word and not to evolution. All things owe their existence to the word and not evolution. Material things are not eternal. Because for you to have evolution to bring about people, you need to have all created things to always to have been existing in all of eternity. Someone has to bring them to existence. And John tells us something that I need you to pay attention to. John does not say that all was made by him and stopped there. He says more. He says, through him. All things were made through him. This, uh, this theology is all over the New Testament. You hear Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things. And through whom we live. That through is very important. Creation was not the work of the Father alone. But was done through the word. And as we analyze this statement. There is a writing style that John has. We are going to introduce it today. But you are going to see it more and more as we go through the book of John. The writing style of John is such that he introduces, he makes a proposition. He says something in a positive way and then repeats it in a negative way, but to say the same thing. So he says, all things were made through him. That's a positive statement. And he doesn't need to repeat it, but he repeats it anyway in a negative way and says, and without him, nothing was made that was made. 
we are going to be seeing that kind of writing from John. It's there for emphasis. It's there to make sure that you did not read the first statement wrong. He is just expanding on the first statement in a negative way. And this statement is very, very important because it is a global statement. It's a universal statement. It's a cosmic statement. Okay? And it brackets everything that is and says every principle, whether it's physical, biological, or spiritual, every atom, every electron, all the unseen and seen things in this universe have been made by him. And in Colossians 1.16, Apostle Paul would say, For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. The thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, those are ranks of angels. Fallen angels. And Apostle Paul says by the Holy Spirit that even these fallen angels, they were created by him. For him. He had use for them. So we can't be teaching a theology that sounds like God somehow was sleeping and things just happened in his universe and that he is now trying to rescue. All these things, whether the wicked things of the universe, they were created by him and for him. They serve his glory. That's the God that we declare. Revelation 4.11, we hear this. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. By your will, they exist and were created. So John has the Logos as the first cause of all other beginnings. He is the Logos that is not created. He is the Logos who is the first cause. We like the language of first cause because it helps us to explain, to go beyond the very basic understanding of things. When we come to the being and nature of God, we have to talk and use the language of first cause he is the one who has moved and started everything that is happening in the universe. Christ, as God, is here presented as the sovereign of the universe. And as the sovereign, he had the right, the sovereign right, to create or not to create. But creating he did, and only so for his glory. And John says, now, now that I have presented to you the Logos, the creation, I'm going to take you another level and tell you about the relation of the Logos to life. Because we have the creation, creation that is the inanimate creation and that which has life. And God says, is this Logos 
Who is the source of all life in the created world? So John moves from general creation to the life found in creation. And John uses life, the word life, 36 times just in the book of John. John uses the term life 36 times just in the book of John. Whereas no other New Testament writer uses it more than 17 times. Of which the second one is John again in, in Revelation. Where he uses it 17 times. And in Romans where Apostle Paul uses it 14 times. And in First John where John uses it again for 13 times. So John says there are two levels of life to be understood. But in the knowledge and understanding of the theology of John, he has a different understanding of life beyond just the biological life. He has eternal life as the reason why the Logos has been revealed. And John says, there's no creature that has life by itself. All life comes from the Logos. There's no life in the cosmic ooze or primordial soup. There's no life that comes from the Big Bang. The Big Bang, if it happened, it happened because the Logos caused it. Life is not a property or quality of created things. It does not naturally exist with them. And that is why they die and corrode. If you have a stainless steel refrigerator, it's going to corrode. I'm sorry to bring the bad news. It's going to corrode. It does not have life in itself. You need life that is connected to the one who has life in themselves. And that's Jesus Christ. But listen carefully. The Bible does not say life is made by or through the word. But it exists in the logos and is given to creatures. And Jesus says, I have life in myself and this life I give to those that my father has given me. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It is because of the life that is in Christ that men have some semblance of intelligence and self-consciousness. And are thus higher forms of creatures than, say, the animals or rocks. But Jesus says he is able to give life even to the rocks and cause them to sing. Jesus says in Luke 19.40, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So even the stones know who Jesus is. The water and the wind know the voice of the master. And when he speaks, the stones will have to come. But the light here, spoken of Christ, has a much bigger and stronger reference than just light for physical illumination. The statements that John makes here are supposed to awaken us to the person of Christ as God. John has here the Old Testament in mind. 
He has the Old Testament in mind. He has verses like Psalm 36, 9, say, well, which says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Second Samuel 22, 29. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness. And in Micah 7, 8, When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So this Logos is life, and this life is the light of man. Christ is the bringer of life and the light bearer. He is the truth, the way, and the life. There is no way if there is no light to illuminate the way. That's what John is teaching. When Christ comes and says he is the truth, the way, and the life, he is saying he is the light that provides illumination for you to see your way into the presence of God. He is the way. John introduces Christ as the light of the world in John 8, 12. And he would say, He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but we have the light of life. As life, Christ gives life to Lazarus. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And as the light of the world, he gives sight to the man born blind in John chapter 9. And as the light, he is the one who spoke light into existence. The very first words that are recorded in Genesis that God spoke were, let there be light. Okay? Let there be light. And this is Christ. And the light shines in darkness. We have a dualism that John uses. You are going to see this. Once you see it, you are going to be seeing it more and more often. A dualism consists of elements that are a paired contrast. Light, darkness. Okay? Belief, unbelief. Love, hate. Truth and lie. Spirit and flesh. You are going to be seeing this over and over in John's writing. Okay? It's a style of John's writing. So over against this light is darkness. And the light and darkness theme is true whether you're talking of physical light or you're talking of spiritual light. And one of the ways that John expresses his teaching is he makes statements that have a meaning beyond the primary meaning. He always carries more meaning than what the expression or statement says. So he says, over this light is darkness. And the darkness is there to oppose the light. And the function of the light is to shine in the darkness. And the darkness is there to oppose the light. So each one of them is trying to undo another. So this is going to be a major theme in John gospel. But something that I want you to see that you may not see is he says up to this point John has been using past tense. And then when it comes to the light he says this light shines. That's a present continuous tense. The light shines continually. It never gets turned off. 
and it cannot be turned off in spite of the darkness. And the darkness is said, darkness did not comprehend it. Darkness is never trying to comprehend light. Like, okay, I'm coming to you, light. I'm trying to see if I can understand some things about you. That's not the understanding that John wants us to have. Uh, the understanding that we are to have is the darkness is trying to overtake, is trying to overcome the light. And we are told that the darkness could not overtake it as to put out the light. Okay? And this theme has its final expression on the cross of Jesus Christ. That is why John is building all this. He is saying Christ who is light has come into this dark world and the outplay of that is going to be on the cross where Christ says he is putting to shame all the principalities and powers on the cross. Okay? So the darkness that we have here is more than just the fallen humanity. There's more to the darkness than just you being a sinner. There is a cosmic aspect of the darkness that Christ is battling with even as he is on the cross. So he puts them to shame. And in John's teaching of darkness and world, he has more than just the physical aspect of this world. He is referencing to the spiritual aspect of this world as a system that is run by the fallen angels. That's what he has uh, in his mind. So Apostle Paul would even uh, lend weight to this and say, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is where the darkness is coming from. So, is this the Jesus that we have? Is this your Jesus? This Jesus of John cannot be known by just reading the Bible or going to church. He can be taught to you, but to believe in him is what it means to be taught of God. And this is what it means to know Jesus. It is not to know some things about him. To know some good things about Christ. But it is to know him as the son of God. And to believe him for who he is. For the work of Christ only has value because of his person and being. And if you deny anything about his being, then you deny everything that is connected with that nature. If you deny that Christ is God, then you are denying that salvation is complete. If you deny that Christ is fully human, then you are denying that God actually poured his wrath on him. You need both. You have to believe in Christ. For he says, this is the knowledge of Christ and God attaches your knowledge of Christ with eternal life. And says in John 17, 3, And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that's the knowledge of the true Jesus. 
And anyone who has a view of Jesus less than what John has given us is yet to know the Son of God. Okay. Do you still have enough strength to go? Because I have to talk about John. I have to talk about John. I was listening to Elder DJ Ward a sermon this week. And he said, a lot of people don't want to sit down and listen and learn about the most important things ever in their life. And he said, you are going to spend more time in hell than you ever spend listening to a sermon. This is just once a week. And we have to do as much work as we can do whilst it's still called day. And whilst we still have the light and the time. And whilst I still have the ability to come here and talk. Because this is a lot of energy. The witness of John. Now we come to the person of John and his relation to the Logos. And that's four verses. There was a man sent from God and whose name was John. This came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. There's something that is very, very important here when you're reading this part of the introduction. These verses right away show us the inferiority of John the Baptist as compared to the Logos. It's very purposeful. It's very, very, very purposeful. It's not just saying, oh, this is John the Baptist. No, there's some background to it. So far, up to this point, John the Apostle has not said anything about Jesus in the flesh. He has not said anything about Jesus in the flesh. He has only said everything about Jesus as the Logos, who is God. And he has a purpose in doing that, for building a contrast. Why does John have to introduce this contrast between John the Baptist and Jesus this early on? Because there was confusion. There was confusion that maybe John the Baptist was the Christ. And there were followers of John the Baptist who were refusing to come to Christ and saying, we are following John. So John here has to settle things. But he settles things with the right theology. And he raises the bar so high that John the Baptist cannot even attain to it. Okay. So the Gospels do depict John as John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ who points people to Christ. But as I said, there were followers who were refusing to accept this and making him more important than Jesus. So John the Apostle comes and says no to this movement. You guys have to come to Christ. If you go and read Luke 3, verse 15 and 6, it says, Now, while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. 
he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John says, unlike the Logos, John the Baptist was just a man with a divine mandate. And he occupied a subordinate position to Jesus. He was a man commissioned by God as a prophet. A great prophet indeed. The greatest of all prophets. Say that Jesus would say, of, of all those who are born of a woman, there's none who is greater than John the Baptist. Okay? And yet, here, John sets John the Baptist against Christ and says, this John was there to bear a witness. To bear witness of the light for the reason that all through him may, might believe. This is what Jesus says of John. In John 5, 34 and 35, he's talking about his father being his witness. He says, yes, I do not receive testimony from men, but I say these things that you may be saved. He, the Baptist, John the Baptist, was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. John, according to Jesus, is just a man. He was not the light. He was but a candle light. The Greek word there that's translated light is phagos. It means the light of the moon or of the candle. Okay? Light of the moon or the candle. So John says, John the Baptist was not the light but a candle light, a lamp with kerosene. He, Jesus was in the beginning, but John came into existence. Jesus was in the beginning with God, John came into existence. John is a man. Jesus is the spoken word. John is the burning candle or kerosene lamp that needs to be fueled and carried around by someone and runs out of fuel. But this Jesus is force. That's a different kind of light. It's a light that cannot be extinguished. So John is like the light on the moon. The moon does not have its own light. It only reflects the light of the sun. And John says, Christ is the one who has the light. John the Baptist is only reflecting that which is on Christ. And I had to have an important application on this. A very important one. We see in this teaching the importance of being careful in making children Christians. Before they are ready to make the confession themselves. Children can carry reflected light from their parents for a long time and appear to have their own light. I did that for 20 something years until I was in my mid-30s. Before I realized that I was not a Christian in spite of the many years of professing Christ. So what are we to do? You keep giving the children the truth of Christ and that by the grace of God, they may be born again. And in the fullness of their time, everybody has a fullness of their own time, which is the appointed time for them to come to Christ. Don't dip them yet before they can come and show evidence that they have made your Christ their own Christ. 
For now, they're only bearing and reflecting the light that is on you. It's not to say they cannot be saved whilst they are young, but it's just the nature of the ways of God that we do not want to be too presumptuous of the ways of God. So John says the end of all this for what the Baptist was given was for him to come and bear witness. And as you read the book of John, you're going to find that witness is a key theme in John's teaching. He gives seven witnesses. And as we know, seven is a number of completion. Christ has seven key witnesses. When you're just reading these things, you will never see them. There are seven key witnesses. Seven is the number of completion. Remember last week I talked about the Samaritan woman and Christ coming as the seventh husband. John also has seven witnesses who bear and testify of the person of Christ. I'm, only, I'm just going to state them and move. Number one witness, he says, the father bears witness to Christ. That's John 5, 31 to 32. The son bears witness of himself. That's number two witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ. That's number three. That's John 15, 26. The works that Christ does bear witness to him. That's number four in John 5, 36, 10, 25. The Holy Scriptures bear witness to Christ. You look to the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is they that testify of me. Number six, six John the Baptist bears witness to Christ. And number seven, the disciples and the multitude bear witness to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Christ is completed. So the bearing of witness was not an end to itself. It was that you and I, by the witness of all the things that God gave, that we may come to the knowledge of Christ. Okay? In Revelation 12, 1, John again says, And they overcame him by the blood of the lamp and by the word of the testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. So what is important about witness and testimony? Testimony commits someone to a position. It commits one even to death. So God has committed himself to Christ and also through the testimony of John. In 1 John 5.10, this is what uh, the Lord says. The one who believes in Christ has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has testified concerning his son. So testimony is a serious matter because even in our own legal system, we rely on witnesses. We see even in the commercial world, they use testimonials. We have this guy who purposes to use a product that they don't really use. Some celebrity guy who comes and says, oh, this is working wonders for me. Okay. 
What are they trying to do? They are saying they are committing themselves to the product and saying this is authentic. You can rely on the statements and claims that have been made about this product. So the witness of Christ by God is saying you can rely on me on the things that I've said about Christ. Okay. Testimony lends credibility to the message. And where it truly applies, like in the case of God, that is your hope. You have to rely on what God says. And in this teaching, the Apostle John uses the word witness and testify. And testify is used in such a way that the work of John the Baptist was going to come to an end at, at some particular point. Once he had testified about the coming, preparing the way of the Lord, as Isaiah said, then his work would come. And this is important for us because there's a lot to talk about John that's going to come in the later chapters. And we are going to develop and see how the Lord actually brings John's ministry to the end. That's not the way a lot of people think of God. So Jesus says, he was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. I'm going to make some remarks about light and blindness and get us to our finish line. The Greek word translated gives light or enlightens in verse 9 is fortizo. Very important. It means to illuminate, to enlighten, to give light or cause to see. In John 9, 39 to 41, you know the story of the man born blind. This is the discussion that the Lord had with the Jews. He says, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now... You say we see, therefore your sin remains. This is very important with respect to light and darkness, sin and judgment and righteousness. Men are fallen and have no light in themselves. Therefore, all men before they are born again are blind. And look to what Jesus says about blindness. He said the Pharisees were blind for one and one reason alone, because they failed to know who Jesus Christ was. And because they are blind, they have no righteousness of their own and are therefore condemned. Men have no saving knowledge of God outside what has been revealed to them through Jesus Christ, who is the true light. So then according to Jesus... To see is to make the right spiritual assessment of him. To see is to make the right spiritual assessment of him and to believe in him. Spiritual blindness is connected with one's own sin, death and judgment. If the Lord says you are spiritually blind, he is saying you are still in your sin, you are still in death and the judgment of God is upon you. Whilst having spiritual light is to have 
one's own sin removed and passing from judgment to life. So whether you see or you're blind is not a matter of physical illumination, but of spiritual illumination. And there's no other light that can be had by men, by their doing, by their learning, which is not light that Christ gives himself. Men cannot lead themselves to Christ. There are no people who are looking for salvation. There's not a single person right now in this world who has come to a point that they need salvation outside Christ causing them to see their need of salvation. So, what do we learn about the teaching on testimony and witness? The work of the preacher is simply that they may, like John the Baptist, provide the witness and testimony of the person and work of Christ. That is the sole work of the preacher. It is to open Christ that people may see him and believe in him. All these other ministries where you listen day in and day out, you listen to tons of messages, and there's not even an attempt to show you Christ and the things of Christ. That is not preaching. They can call it whatever they want. They can be called with all the kinds of names that they have. But as long as someone is not busying themselves with revealing Christ that people may see him, they are not preaching Christ. These people approach the Bible as a self-help manual because they are not interested in Christ. There are a lot of good things that you can learn from the Bible about how to lead your life. But the Bible was not given for you to know how to lead your life. The Bible was given that you may know Jesus Christ. First and foremost, if you know Jesus Christ, then everything else will follow. There's too much showmanship in the church. There's too much showmanship in the church. And this is how you are going to be able to tell. In the first five minutes of whoever the preacher is, you should be able to tell what you're going to hear. You should be able to tell. In the first five minutes, you should be able to tell that this guy has nothing to tell me. Okay? And it is your duty to have the discernment to say, I'm not going to waste my time with this person because this is too important. We don't pay money for this, but this is the only important thing that we actually ever do with our lives. This is the only important thing that we ever do with our lives. And these guys are wasting people and sending people to hell in droves because they are not telling them about the Savior. Okay? So our prayer here at Berean Sovereign Grace is that the Lord will cause us to continually come back and not to stray from the message of the cross. Yes, it may be painful to sit down there. I'm like, okay, when is this guy going to finish? I'm going to finish sometime today. Amen. When the Lord is done with what he has given me, I'll finish. Hallelujah. But this is serious work. Because I may die tonight. 
and you may die tonight. As what almost happened to sister, my sister there, Nilia. She had an accident yesterday. Okay? You don't have to be sick to die. That's my point. You can just go out from here and you get hit and you die. And you never know if what you thought you were believing before was the actual truth that leads to salvation. That's why you need to come and keep hearing and keep hearing the truth. So, in closing, this is the Christ of God that I want you to know. The Christ that God has revealed to us is way much more than you and I deserve to have. The God of eternity, who sits high and exalted in the heavenly places all by himself, giving himself worship and worshiping himself in a way that no creature can render worship to him, determined to come and save you and me. He determined to remove the blindness that was on you. The sin, the judgment, the death that is on you requires one who is God to remove it. You need a darkness remover. Okay? You don't need some bleach. You need a darkness remover. And Christ is the darkness remover. And once he has removed the darkness, he continues to shine. There's never a time in all of eternity that you ever run out of light because Christ never runs out of light. You never run out of righteousness because Christ has provided your righteousness. The Christ that we are talking about is glorious. It's an amazing thing that the Lord gave you enough health and strength this morning to come and hear what I had to share about Christ. He actually purposed this from all of eternity that you may come. There are some who are bedridden. Doc couldn't even make it this morning. But the Lord purposed that for today, this very day that the Lord has made that you that are near to him would come and hear what the Lord has given me. It's glorious. And we praise the Lord for that. Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, the Logos, who has given us his life and his light that we may not walk in darkness anymore. We were children of darkness. We were living in a world that's covered by darkness. And we were going to be buried in a world of darkness. This world has nothing to give. It only gives darkness and death. This is the only world that has cemeteries. There are no cemeteries in heaven. Because heaven is life. The world is sin and death. The world cannot 
Thebes. Christ, the Logos, the life, the Lamb, has saved us. He has removed the curse of darkness that was on us. Lord, help your people to understand. Help your people to see the glory of what Christ has done for them. Because we know, Lord, that when the curtain is drawn, we shall all be by ourselves. And all this preparation is that is just for that day, for that hour, the hour of death that is coming. But for those who are in Christ, his promise is those who believe in him, even if they die, they shall live. And we live in him and we long to see him. We long to see our Lord Jesus Christ and we pray, Lord, that he may come. Even now, Lord, come Jesus. We thank you and we praise you in your precious name. Amen.